Hi, I'm Dave. Hey, folks, it's your boy Dave, a.k.a. Hot Stuff, a.k.a. The Human Mask. And uh, I just want to tell you that it's important for you to rate, review, and subscribe. You know, we do these pods almost weekly, but sometimes we switch up the day. You subscribe to this bad boy, you'll know before I even know that that pod is either on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever other weird avenue that you want to go down, it sure might be there as well. So do us a favor, rate it and review it. Do yourself a favor and subscribe. Hi, I'm Dave. Who's Dave? We haven't even started and you're already sweating. I'm under the bright light. You really are. Yeah, man. It's Texas. Hi, I'm Dave. There you go. I got my own intro. Hi, I'm Dave. Who's Dave? <laughs> That's right. Unfortunately, I couldn't find anything for Zach, and Zach is also not here, so that works out just fine, I suppose. I suppose. Hi, I'm Dave. Um, so I'm watching the Knicks-Hawks game right now, and I, I keep getting shocked by the size of crowds. Like, I'm sure you saw at the PGA this last weekend what happened with Phil and Brooks Kepka. And at the Garden, it just doesn't even look like there's any restrictions at all. It's just, it's the Garden of Old for a playoff game. It's crazy how many people are there. And there's dudes wearing masks around their chin. And uh, everyone's like all packed in there like sardines. I'm not saying it's wrong. It just makes me uncomfortable watching it. We're there, man. I think we're back. Well, are we back? We're uh, If you watched that Suns-Lakers game and saw the crowd out in Phoenix, I think... Uh... Cause that's indoor stuff. Like the PGA, like outdoor stuff, I think it's like a whole different, you got to treat that a little differently. But what's crazy is like, you look at Phoenix and it's like a packed house and then Canada is still too scared to have anybody in the house and they're playing hockey games. Well, that's also, that also brings up an issue of what happens when we get to the final four in hockey. And one of them is from Canada and you can't have like, they can't go back and forth. Super league. Super league. Did the did the Phil thing not make you uncomfortable? These ma- this mass of people surrounding uh, each other and the golfers on the court. I've never seen anything like it. Well, from like a safety standpoint or from a COVID standpoint. Oh, just the entire standpoint, all of the standpoints. It reminded me of like when Tiger, not when Tiger won the Masters, but when when he won the first tournament before the Masters, it was like back kind of deal there was a good little crowd but that crowd was like it's still a golf crowd whereas this crowd at the pga was like like they'd been inside for too long like they forgot to act and that's it's exactly it you you sprinkle in a little bit of alcohol and a bunch of people who haven't been outside in 14 months and that's exactly what happened people forget how to act (laughs) oh my god are you are you are you sick are you under the weather there david yeah, I've got the uh, the old uh, daycare bug that goes to terrorizes my family now. So my son is patient zero. He always gets it. Then he gives it to my wife. She now gives it to our daughter and me. She gets over it in about a day and a half. She's got a really good immune system. She gives it to me, and it wrecks me. Knocks me out of commission. Had to call out of work two days because I'm coughing and got snot coming out of my nose constantly. And she mocks me incessantly. Even though she gave it to you. This is the predicament. You see what I'm doing here? Yeah. The boys are back in town. 
<laughs> Wait, does this mean we can talk? <laughs> what are the chances he saw it? What are the chances Zach watched? Oh, it? I mean, I would set the over under at like thirteen minutes that he watched of that movie, and yeah. I would take the under exactly. because I don't think he watched it at all. But I think he may. Yeah. He could. There's a chance he started it and was like, nope. But we yeah. can talk about it since he's not here. Slim chance. Yeah. Who I mean, the fuck uh, is Jack Nicholson? I rewatched it after our last podcast. I rewatched like probably the first like forty minutes of it. It was like I get your your assessment that like yeah this was pretty dumb, but then you go back and you like rewatch certain things. And you're like yeah that's just funny. Like it's so stupid. It's so. Yeah, but stupid. it gets it's it's weirdly gets better with watching. Like stupid it does. movies don't usually do that, but this one really does. You get the hang of it. You get like what they're doing. And uh, I think the quintessential moment in it, it's not the funniest moment, and it has zero impact on the plot. But when they're, plot? Like, yeah. when they're in their little office and towards the very beginning of it, and they're just, like, talking like idiots. And the one dude who is, uh, who, uh, is like, who's the, plays the seal who gets eaten by the sharks, Spoiler alert. And <laughs> he's talking about some guy being a maniac. And he's like, I once saw him eat a cat. Yeah. Maybe it was a lobster. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that part. They're talking, they're talking about uh like one of their friends, and then one of the other ones is like, Yeah, uh Jonah Hill's character knows him. They like went to camp together or something, and Jonah Hill's like smiling and kind of laughing. And then he's like, yeah, and they shower together naked. And Jonah Hill gets so uncomfortable and his face scrunches up and he starts to shake his head like, no, no, that didn't happen. <laughs> that guy, the guy who gets eaten by a shark, spoiler alert, is honestly, I think, my favorite character in the movie. It's, it's Dante from Grandma's Boy. And yeah, yeah. He just always rolls in with the most ridiculous of things to say. He's literally there to just be insane. That's his only device in the movie. Yeah, and it's great. I mean, they created so many, like, just bizarre characters and put yeah. them all into, like, a small... Put them all into an RV. Don't really know what Jonah Hill's doing with his accent, but it, it's phenomenally funny. Like, it's so good. I don't... I couldn't tell you where it's from. Yeah, it's definitely, like, a made-up... I mean, there aren't people... That actually sound... That like are mentally that. well that are talking like that. I don't buy it. I Who the fuck is Jack Nicholson? <laughs> <laughs> um, the one thing the first time i wa was watching it i kept getting distracted because you know you and i work in tv so we have like a background in what it's like to make tv so i was getting distracted by some of the mechanical stuff that like they would be doing and the thing that like i, I wouldn't say it bugged me but i just kept getting confused about was all the file video that they're using like they're clearly not going to Africa and shooting video of elephants. They're not going underwater to shoot video of sharks. So where are they getting all the file video to talk over? I think that's kind of the bit because it's well shot. I mean, that yeah. shark stuff, like they were underwater shooting a shark coming at yeah. them. Like that's like planet Earth type stuff. Right. I don't know the video is good wilderness video, but I guarantee you they didn't shoot it. How about when they go into the office in the very beginning to sit down with like the executive and he starts playing their clips and one of them is like a guy on fire at a peace rally or something. Yeah. Some weird Jesus music playing. 
<laughs> and the guy's just like, what is this? <laughs> and I remember thinking the same thing, like, what is, <laughs> what is, going what is this random clip that they found? <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, something like a peace rally. That it's it's wild. The movie is ridiculous. And um the scene when they meet the guide, or he wasn't the guide at first, he became their guide. Uh, and he, they asked him his name, and he was like, "My name's Dick." And then they go—they literally do, I think, five full minutes of dick jokes with no like irony, no wink to the camera, just back uh, dick joke after dick joke after dick joke. It's not a subtle movie. No, in, in, <laughs> subtlety is the yeah. last word I would use to describe this movie. But it is—I mean, look. I would suggest watch it and then be like, oh, I didn't really like it. And then go find clips on YouTube and watch it again. And you will, you will laugh because it is It'll remind a genuinely you. funny movie. Yeah. Jonah Hill does a music video in the middle of it about how much he hates his stepmom. If you're my stepmom, Phyllis. <laughs> <laughs> Quit telling me to turn down my music. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so I'm a big fan. <laughs> Plus, yeah, we, we have our laugh track now. Did you ever uh, explain how you came across this movie? Uh, no, I think one of my friends just kind of told me about it from college. The same way I came across Hot Rod. Which do you find funnier, Hot Rod or Strange Wilderness? Hot Rod, because Hot Rod has like, I mean... Hot Rod is just great. Strange Wilderness, when I was re-watching it, I could see, I was like, yeah, some of this is, like, really corny and, like, really struggling. Whereas Hot Rod, like, there's really not that much not, that much not funny stuff in it. Like, even the sensitive and, like, you know, the heartfelt stuff is, like, followed up by, like, him threatening to kick his grid or stepdad's ass. And it's like, what? Oh, that's right. It's just such a ridiculous plot. If if I had to go into a, an argument about the best comedy movie of all time and I had to argue Hot Rod, I would feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. Like, it, it, I, I don't know. I can't just sit here and say it's the best comedy of all time. But if I had to argue that, I would feel like I could, could do that. I got lines. I got lines that I could give you that are really solid lines. Cool beans! Exactly. I've been drinking green tea all goddamn day! I mean, I'm breaking pump. The first time I saw that movie, I said that line. I mean, I've used that in sports casts. I've been drinking green tea all day. <laughs> it's iconic. I mean, yeah. this the scene with uh, what's his name, Richardson? That like he's they're at the pool and he's like in the pool and they need him to get out to do the stunt and he's like, "Let me join your crew." And they're like, you don't do anything, Richardson. And he's like, don't die. And it's just this weird synth 80s track with him air humping all over the pool. And it's, it's, I, it's the stupidest and funniest thing I think I've ever seen. Yeah, it's got so much random stuff in it. And yet it still kind of works. Like even when they break into like a cool beads, like cool bead off. Cool beads! Yeah, it still works. It's Andy Samberg, though. I mean, if there's a if there's a person in comedy that I will follow into any project, he's probably the only person that I that that I would say that about. You watch Brooklyn Nine Nine? Yeah, religious. Yeah, yeah. Nicole and I 
I had a hard time just get first getting into it because I wasn't sure if it was going to be funny. And then I think it kind of found its voice. And I, I mean, I think it's great. I've, that, they're the style that they do it. It's not all. They do a lot of the. Well, it's like that time at Stevenson's birthday party, and then they cut to Stevenson's the birthday party. Flashbacks, kind of yeah. Yeah, they do a lot of that, but I think they do it sort of not uniquely, but it's a different kind of twist to it, and it's not the only thing they do, kind of like a you know family like what Family Guy does. But uh, I'm surprised that they were able to pull off a comedy that surrounds a police station. Like, well, it started before, you know. No, I understanding that it started before what what happened last summer, and I, I'm very interested to see what this last season looks like because they made it like in the middle slash end of all the uh, unrest with the police. Not that we're through it by any means, but I'll be interested to see how they how they look into that in the way that they make their final season. But even bef- like going back to when the show started, it's not like police work is rife with loads of like accessible comedy unless you're like a man right because like there's funny there's there's funny stuff there but i think they just they managed to find funny in a place that i didn't think there was that much funny i guess is what i'm getting at yeah in in a place where they're probably i mean you know i don't know brooklyn super well but i mean the brooklyn pd like department like i'm sure there's a it's probably not a fun place to be doesn't seem super safe absolutely no, and they do a good job of – they kind of – like I said, when they found their voice, and I think they felt more comfortable tackling more serious topics because the one episode that stands out to me was when Terry Crews, the lieutenant, the lieutenant, um, who was black, obviously, and gets kind of profiled and has like an, you know, an incident with a, with a beat cop in his own neighborhood, and it bothers him to a certain you – know, he pisses him off, pisses him off, and he wants to do something about it. And I think they have like a really – they frame it really well so that you get the sense of why he can be so mad at it and why him blowing up and throwing away his career to do something about it can be, can be more detrimental to, to the greater good. I think they did a good job of that. And I think they obviously have a little bit of levity to it that can really provide some, some scope to it, but I thought they tackled serious things pretty well. Well, that's in, in the continuum of, of comedy. Strange Wilderness is on one end as far as smart and dumb. And Brooklyn Nine-Nine is on the other. And it's, yeah. very, it's very smartly written. It's not quite like Silicon Valley where they're, they're really going for the highbrow at times. Yeah. But it is, it is really, really well written. Is there somebody in comedy, like for me, Andy Samberg, where whatever project that they're dipping their toes into you're all in without even you know seeing a trailer or anything huh because i think like i would have said will ferrell once upon a time but i just his most recent stuff hasn't really been all that funny to me and i don't know if it's maybe my sense of uh humor has changed or he's like getting into doing different things or or what that is but i'm just like eh not really that big of a will ferrell guy anymore yeah, I mean, I think, and I think you see it happen a lot with rappers, but they kind of lose their fastball, so to speak. And yeah. I think that just kind of comes with the territory. It's like you get to, you know, your sense of humor kind of evolves, especially when you have kids and you go down the line. I mean, you, you, different things start to be funnier to you. And when you start to make those types of movies, you're going to lose the audience that doesn't have kids or, you know, or, or whatever. And yeah, I mean, there was a stretch when Will Ferrell was, I mean, if I, 
there was a stretch when Jim Carrey was the guy. It was like boom, right. boom, 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 banger after banger and great movie and great comedy movie. In terms of right now, comedy guy and like a lead guy, like a lead man, you're talking, right? Well, just it doesn't necessarily have to be a lead. It can be it can be anybody. I just mean like someone who has your your loyalty to a point where if you see something that that they're involved in, you're gonna watch it no matter what it is. And to your point about like losing the fastball as you get older in comedy, there there seems to be nothing more difficult in entertainment than trying to be purposefully funny and trying to do that across decades as you age and as comedy ages, especially in the climate we're living in right now. And considering the fact that like they've had a lot of good ideas already, if you're like Will Ferrell specifically, to, con- to continue to come up with new ideas, to push the envelope, to be funny into your third decade. It, it seems terrible and it seems like it would create a lot of stress and anxiety so i don't blame him for maybe doing some stuff that's different or having projects that aren't necessarily for me but it's just um yeah i i would never want to have to be or have that burden of be funny all the time in front of a huge audience over and over again but be new and different and funnier you know i think those i think a lot of the snl guys that spin off from snl and go on to do their own thing andy samberg and like Jason did Sudeikis and things like that. Um, you know, a lot of those guys have a lot of success because they are super talented and they're, they, they wind up making these relationships in that SNL kind of uh, breeding ground or whatever. But a guy that stands out to me, and maybe not recently, because I can't think of anything he's done recently, but Charlie from It's Always Sunny. Oh, Charlie Day. I mean, yeah, I, 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 you know, I thought hor- I thought the horrible bosses movies were were hysterical. Yeah, um, I thought Fist Fight was was pretty funny. Even you if know, I never saw stupid. that, but I, I I wanted to. It did look funny. Yeah, I mean, it's stupid and it's uh, it's got some really strange parts in it, but uh, it's uh, you know, it's funny, it's funny. Like you bring that up, and um, it's apropos of like just ridiculously small world, um, I'm I just started watching Mythic Quest. I don't know if you ever heard of this, but it's an Apple TV. That's the- Plus. That's the uh, the Mac show. Rob yeah. McElhaney. Well, so Rob McElhenney and Charlie Day are the executive producers on this show. Uh-huh. And so it's got those two guys from Always Sunny at, uh, at the top and Mac stars in it. It's about video games, essentially. And um, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's got a lot of things that I should like. Like it, it sets up to be something that I would enjoy. And it just doesn't really hit like, at least not yet. I think I'm like five episodes in and I haven't gotten to a point where I'm like, oh, this is so great. I'm just kind of like, eh, it's all right. What's, like, it's What's it on? Fun. What's it airing on? Because I've heard about it and I just don't know where to find it. Apple TV Plus. Apple TV. <laughs> right, Isn't that the that. thing these days? You find something good and it's like, well, where, where is it? Where, what app do I need? What streaming service do I need to find? Yeah. And you just hope that it's something that's not a... Uh... It's not a Tubi. It's not on Tubi or something like that. Wild card, bitches! Did you see the uh, Aaron Rodgers interview? You know, I, I had a guy, I work with another photog who is a Packers fan from West Virginia. And he asked me the same thing. And I said, I saw the parts that they wanted me to see. You know, I didn't watch it live or anything. And I don't know where it exists, like uninterrupted. So I saw the you know, the question point blank, do you want to get traded from green Bay? And I heard Aaron Rodgers 
not answer it because Aaron Rodgers is maybe a little too smart for his own good and can kind of weasel his way out of it and start talking about culture and about the people, man. I mean, that was nonsense. That was utter nonsense what he said. The, I thought he was high. Oh, quit stealing my takes. <laughs> All right, go. <laughs> Nick, you saw the interview. What would you think? The question – the question about organization versus the players, right? It, that's, that's what Kenny asked him. Kenny Mayne asked him about. And yeah, he starts talking about, well, the organization is like just buildings. And, and what, what does the building represent versus the people that make up the organization? And he goes off on this, like, it must have been at least two minutes to two and a half minutes. Felt like it. On on rolling around the sort of philosophical idea of organization versus person. And I literally sat there kind of with my, like hand, my hand, my palm, my right palm on my right cheek leaned up against the side of my couch. Like, huh, is Aaron Rodgers high right now? Because it, <laughs> the only way that any of that answer made sense is if he was altered in some way. And it was, a, it was a thoroughly interesting answer because it, it, it existed on a higher plane above most of us. But yeah, I just, I came away from the interview being like, uh, this guy's enjoying his freedom. Like he's enjoy and, he, and he's enjoying this too, which is kind yeah. of scary. Like he likes the fact that he is now kind of in the driver's seat of this whole narrative. Well, if you were wondering who, what Packer fan is pro-management in this ordeal, the photog that I work with is pro management. How His old words, is he? He's our age. Oh, I was going to say, remember take. we, we talked about this with our dads, like our dads have reason to be a little more pro management. So I, I thought it might be generational, but he's, no. he's young enough to not feel that way, but I guess he does. Yeah. I can actually issue a clarification. Apparently I misread my dad's tweet that uh, was very critical of Aaron Rodgers. It was actually very critical of the Packers general manager. It just was not clear because there was no name mentioned anywhere in it. So my dad is actually team Aaron Rodgers in this equation. And see that knowing the little bit about your dad that I do, I felt like it was kind of weird that he, that that he would have that perspective. Yeah. It was very odd. It was very odd. Tracks a little bit better followers on Twitter. He's a private account. You can't interact with him. I mean, it's just, (laughs) It's just classic, but so he's so Satch is doing Twitter correctly. Yeah. 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 He just yells it into the void and then he's <laughs> done. It the void. It's a release. It's really, it's what it's intended to be. And so, uh, no, the photog that I work with. Yeah. He's pro management. He's our age. He's pro management in this, in this particular instance. Um, Cause I think he's fed up with Aaron Rodgers, and he looks at, the NFC championship games that he's been to and says, you know, you were in, you were in this last NFC championship game. You had a good defense. You had a good, you have a really good running back. You've got a good receiving court. Devontae Adams is very good. You got a good offensive line and you didn't get it done. Stop complaining. Stop making excuses about the front office, not bringing you in guys. You had an MVP season and you were great all year and you couldn't beat a 45 year old quarterback at home. In your own ball, in your own stadium. But his coach chose to kick the ball on fourth down and give the ball back to that quarterback. That game wasn't won or lost on that decision, though. I mean, that game was that game was lost earlier than that. And I, yes, it, you can it, look at the grand scheme of the game, but you took the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hand. What does this guy want Aaron Rodgers to do if he literally can't impact the game at the end? 
But Aaron Rodgers' beef isn't with Matt LaFleur, the head coach, at that no. level of decision-making. No. His, he's just frustrated. I mean, it's all, I think my friend thinks that it's finger-pointing. It's coming across more now as sour grapes and finger-pointing. And looking back on, you know, they, he's been to one Super Bowl and what? Four. Four NFC Championship games that he's lost. So he's one in five, right? Yep. That Seahawks one will haunt me for the rest of my life. Brandon Boston. That was a game that was very winnable if they scored touchdowns instead of kicking field goals. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that you kick, you score one touchdown instead of kicking a field goal. That's different. They got drubbed by the Niners. But yeah, not close. And then they lost to the Bucks at home. What's the other one that I'm missing? No, I think it's four total. Three, lo- three losses, three. one win. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. I mean, the, and the Niners won. I mean, that's embarrassing. You can lose to the Bucks, and, and you know, you can live with that and talk about, you know, going for it or whatever. When you get your doors blown off in the first quarter and you're down 30 at halftime or whatever it was, I mean, that those are the losses that don't happen to, to, to a lot of great quarterbacks. Like Tom Brady, I mean, how many times – I can think of one time when the Pats lost to the Ravens at home first round of the playoffs and it was whoa that was an embarrassing loss that doesn't happen to the Patriots and that doesn't happen to Tom Brady it doesn't happen a lot and it feels like that kind of thing happens with Aaron Rodgers and you wonder well what separates him why is why why are his teams capable of getting drubbed and he's capable of getting taken out of games and getting blown out whereas a guy like Russell Wilson who I don't even like Russell Wilson the Seahawks are always in games they're always in games. You know, what is he doing different than Aaron Rodgers that enables his team to stay in it? Is he a better team guy? Is he better at, you know, is he better handling adversity? I mean, I I don't know. I don't know. The 49ers one to me, I think, is not to not to write it off, but that was just a really bad matchup because of the way that the 49ers wanted to play versus the way the Packers wanted to play. And a few things go differently at the beginning of that game. And you, and it may have been a, at least closer, if not maybe a more competitive game because they, they just built such a big lead and then they could rush the passer with those freaks they had along the defensive line and run the ball. And that, and that was the end of that. Um, I don't know that I don't, I don't have any numbers to support this. I don't know that Aaron Rodgers gets blown out more than other quarterbacks. I think we we've seen pretty publicly a few of them. And also you and I follow it more closely because we're fans of the team, but um, I would, I would be interested to do a little digging to see just if that's, if there is any truth to that, because that would be an interesting caveat to this whole thing that like, for whatever reason, when this dude gets beat, it's not close. Like, and is there, is there any sort of correlation between that and like the greater team uh, uh, feeling and movement? Although one, not, 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 continuing this thought break new thought um this whole discrepancy disagreement between him and management it does it definitely centers around jordan love but i think people are too quick to compare it directly to what happened with brett Favre and say he saw that like they drafted him and replaced brett Favre, and um and that he's basically seeing the writing on the wall blah 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 i think he's seeing more than just that in that scenario because we all saw the way the Packers treated Brett, even when they drafted Rodgers, it was always uh, begging for Brett to come back. It was, you yeah. know, there was three years in there when they could have let Rodgers take over or could have gone to him, but 
but they waited four years to give Rodgers his chance because they were waiting on the becking call of Brett Favre. And in this case, I think he's not feeling that same like love. He keeps saying that I threw a wrench in their plans. So it's one thing to draft Jordan Jordan Love, but if the, the team is also like kind of nudging you out the door as opposed to being like, yeah, we drafted him for the future, but you're our future right now. And we're going to keep running it back with you until you are done. Then we'll deal with him down the road. Maybe this turns out differently, but I think from the way that you're seeing Aaron handle this, I think he's actually taking a lot from the Brett Favre situation and saying, you treated Brett one way. You're kicking me out the door the minute you draft the new guy. I don't like that. Well, that's a, we're mincing his words now, but I think we, ought, we have to because he's given us so little over the last month. And he's a very calculated person. So I think mincing is not necessarily a bad idea because he uses, he picks his words very carefully. Well, the, the, the notion that he threw the monkey, the monkey wrench being thrown into the system was him winning the MVP and the kind, the insinuation that Green Bay wasn't expecting him to be as good and saying, okay, now we can kind of start to usher him out and he's, he's losing his fastball. We can kind of start the process. And then when he comes out otherworldly and throws two picks the whole year and, you know, 40 touchdowns and wins the MVP and you're like, oh, yeah, I guess we can't really, like, move on from this guy. But I don't we know. Can't like, move, we can't move on from this guy. And in that thinking, we're not embracing him. Like, he wants – like it or not, he's a sensitive dude. He wants to be loved by these people, and he's clearly not getting that. And it doesn't it, – I mean, that's kind of what happened to Tom Brady. And, you know, there were people in that organization that wanted him there but there were people that didn't want him there and people that thought, well, he'll, you know, he'll start to fall off and that's when we can kind of start the next process. And it never happened. And Tom Brady said, well, you know, if you really feel that way, I'll be gone and I'll, and I'll, and I'll prove you wrong. And I think Aaron Rodgers sees that and says, well, wait a minute. I'm the, I've got all this talent. Why can't I do that? I think Tom Brady might be a, uh, there's that. And then I think a second element to it is the power play between him and Belichick. Yeah. I, think, I mean, that was a different, it's a different yeah, example because there was he wanted more of the, the credit for what was happening there. And he's going to get it now. I mean, after winning, yeah. he's going to get it. Unless, unless Bell, unless the Pats win the Super Bowl this year, which would be like, all right, no, no. How do we really have to assess these guys with, with Mac Jones, ah, my guy, your guy, my guy back Do um, does it change things for you if the Packers somehow get Julio Jones? Like, do you think, can they, well, can they do an olive branch to Aaron and be like, look what we got you. We finally got you something. Well, it's not me. They need to repair anything with, but I asked my friend that, that I work with, I said, well, what's the move? Like if, if they go out and get Julio Jones, is that like all is forgiven? Like we're making it. And, and is that what Aaron Rodgers wants? It seems like he just wants a splash move. He wants, you know, he wants flowers. He wants uh, so he wants them to know. He wants why me and dime me, baby. Come he on. He wants to know that they care, and he wants yes. to know how much they care. Yeah, don't we all, Dave? Don't we all want to feel like we're loved by our partner, and that we're there? They don't have one foot out the door. They're not looking at the shiny new new kid that just came out of college. The the tighter butt, the more taut abs. Like you saw those pictures of Aaron Rodgers in Hawaii without his shirt on. He's doughy. He's more like Nikola Jokic than Carl Anthony Towns or Bam out of bio. Like, 
he might he might be feeling it a little bit. So he wants to be reminded how much these guys care about him. And they show they care by going out and getting a monster for the outside. I like that's a good that Julio Jones is still good, right? Like I didn't yeah. I'm not missing something here. No, I Julio Jones he's, is a stud. Yes, he's still he's still got his fastball, we'll say, to continue to use this uh this metaphor. He's Beat still got his down. fastball. It may not be 99. It may be 95, but he's still got it. And he's I, – I, I was telling somebody else, like, if I were to, like, make a wide receiver in a lab, like, if I could, like, have any any style of wide receiver, oh, do you want a speed guy? You want, no, I want Julio Jones. I want a big guy. I want a big guy who is fast but is a big guy, great hands. That's the guy. And Aaron Rodgers has never had Julio Jones. He's never had anything close to that. No, he had Jermichael Finley, who was Julio Jones, but played with bricks on his hands. And that's that's not Julio Jones. <laughs> and, you know, I think things changed for Tom Brady when Randy Moss came to the Patriots. Because that's when Tom Brady became an offensive dynamite. And I think Aaron Rodgers says, well, I need a guy like that. I need a guy like that to make me, to make this thing really go. You think it's going now? It'll really go if I have Julio Jones. Mm-hmm. I think they could get Julio Jones. I I heard you know just kind of second round pick. That's what you. That's that's all that Atlanta's going to get for him. Well, after this debacle with Shannon Sharp, like which is a whole different other topic. That is that is a can of journalistic worms right there. Yeah. Um, but that just, it, it neuters the Falcons and whatever sort of leverage they have, unless they're going to do the same thing that the Packers are going to do, which is like, if he doesn't show up, we're just going to find him or whatever. We're not like, we're not dealing him under pressure like this. Well, I hope they get Julio. I mean, I've always liked Julio Jones and I've always thought the Packers made a splash wide receiver type trade that it would go a long way. And, and my feet, well, go ahead. I was going to say, not for nothing, he would fit really well in their system because Devontae can play inside. He doesn't need to be yeah. the, out, the number one outside guy. You can put Julio out there and move Devontae around, and you're, nev- you're never going to see a double team on Julio Jones. You may see it, you may see it on Devontae Adams because he's a little bit better right now, but he, Julio Jones will get single coverage forever. Or one of them will. Whether it's I mean, if they, Okay, if they choose to single Devontae, then you're going to lose. Like, that's just, you're not going to win that game. My fear would be that Julio Jones is because I I don't remember what the what's the injury that he's coming off of, isn't it like his calf or something? Yeah, I think the toe was a couple Leg. of years ago. Yeah, um, I don't remember what it was last year, but I don't care. Like I don't care. I <laughs> I would want it. And, and I wonder if that if, if if it's the it's merely the effort of the front office saying, oh well, let's get this guy, and if it doesn't work out. It doesn't work out, but Aaron Rodgers can look at that and say, well, they tried, you know, it didn't, guys get hurt, things happen, but at least they are trying to do these types of things versus just living and dying by the draft and trying to doesn't work everybody. out. He was the bleeping MVP last year without Julio Jones. What, what damage could Julio Jones do? I think it would be more just if Julio Jones winds up being injury prone and doesn't play a whole lot. And so the, the, you know, you don't look at it from a standpoint of, wow, we wasted all this money and, you know, we'll think of all the things we could have done and who could that second round pick have been and beat yourself up like that. It's more of a, 
well, we went out and tried to make a play and it didn't work. This is why we don't do this type of thing from the, from management standpoint. Um, you know, and you get kind of sour grapes on that front, but I, I don't see, I, honestly, there's no downside, but I think it may be too late. It may be too late. Well, they may not be able to make the best offer. Yeah. I don't know that. I don't know where well, they're too at. Late to, to, too late to, to, to salvage Rogers? the relationship with the guy too late to salvage the relationship with the guy that matters. Yeah, I don't think so. I think some of that is a little overblown that that he, he that no nothing would change the what the fact that he doesn't want to be there because like you said, his beef is not with anybody in the in the immediate vicinity that he works with. He he and LaFleur are good. Him and the team are good. The issue is with Brian Gutnus, Gutkunst, Goody, Goose. whatever you want to call him, Young Goody. 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 Um, Yo Goody. And and so it's you can like think of it from your perspective. You can have a boss you really dislike and that you want to leave whatever job you're at because they just you don't feel like they support you and you need room to grow and blah blah blah. And then well, all of a sudden, if that boss provides you with resources and all, now your job is easier and you're able to do it at better, doesn't mean you're going to be best friends at going out for beers down in Madison with them. But at yeah. least you can go to work every day, enjoy the people you do enjoy, and feel like you can do your job. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, I mean, I. I do think that it's it's still repairable because if it wasn't repairable, wouldn't we know? Wouldn't like wouldn't something have happened already? Well, I think we'll see because if if he get if he gets moved, then it wasn't repairable. If they get Julio Jones and he gets moved, it wasn't repairable. Boy, what God! Imagine imagine they trade him for Julio Jones. <laughs> <laughs> What are you doing? Wild card, bitches! On both sides. Like, oh, so, they, so the Falcons now have Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers. Okay, I see what we're doing here. Look, you can't have too many quarterbacks. We're going to run two quarterback offense with Ryan and Rodgers. So Shannon Sharp, huh? So Shannon Sharp, I mean, this is my issue with how we have blended and muddied the lines between journalism and commentary and skip bayless love him or hate him at one point was an actual journalist now whether he was a good journalist i think that's also another discussion because troy aikman would disagree but to sit back and let this unfold like like who's on that show? Like I get that it's great TV and it got everyone talking and it's big news, but like calling a guy and not telling him he's live on air and asking him those types of questions, like that you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. And I hate that. Like the only people like up in arms are like journal quote journalism snobs. I don't even. I'm not even like a journalism snob, but like. If you call anybody and you record it, it's illegal in most states. Like, it's just. That's the thing for me. And it's, it is like a breach of journalism. It's a breach of ethics. There's so much like wrong from that standpoint. But if you just want to get down to the basics of it, like you're have you're recording a conversation with somebody that they don't know they're being recorded for that, that could and probably will impact their work and their money. Like, the ramifications of this are very real and very like you, you'll be able to see it in dollars and cents and where he plays probably. So that's the part to me. It's like, 
it's not just reckless and it's not just journalistically bad. Like, you know, journalism in this country is under fire anyway, but the, the idea that you're going to impact this guy's ability to put food on his table by making waves and, and doing something viral for your show. Like I knew Shannon Sharp was a clown already. He's just like, he's taking it to a whole new level with this type of stuff. And I think like, I don't know if I was Fox, I think you need to, you need to discipline him because that's not like, you can't, you can't allow him to think that this is the type of thing that he might be able to get away with scotch free. Right. But like, I guess, how do you discipline Shannon Sharp? I don't think he really would care. Um, but yeah, it just, but like, it really bugged me because it's, this is, this is going to have like a, a, a real impact on Julio Jones and the Falcons, their whole organization, like the whole thing. I, what, what I don't, what I don't know is what kind of standard does Shannon Sharp need to be held accountable to? Uh, legal, not, he, legal standards. Well, well, yeah. Yeah. And I guess Julio Jones doesn't have an issue with this. And so, wow, that's yeah. interesting. Uh, you know, at least that's what we hear. I mean, I don't really know. I mean, I feel like it would be a betrayal of trust to some level, you know, even I, I guess for if Julio's just that like down to be out of Atlanta, he may, he may not care that he's on the record he may have not wanted it to be that way, but yeah. Um, Cause I think that's the, that's the real gray area that we find ourselves in, in terms of journalism in this country is, we don't know who is a journalist and who is a commentator and when people can wear multiple hats and when people can take off all of their hats and, you know, where the accountability falls, because there are rules to this shit. I mean, it's that simple. There are rules, you know, and people that go to journalism school will, will tell you about them, you know, buy them an IPA and they'll tell you all about them. But I, you know, I, I also don't think that Julio being okay with it necessarily changes like what sort of either punishment or whatever. Like, yeah, just because Julio in retrospect, whatever finds it funny or is fine that his comments made it out there. The act of having him on the phone during the show live on air without him knowing is just wrong. It doesn't matter if he wants to quote unquote press charges or not. Do you think it was real? Okay, that's a different that question, though. That just dawned on me. Like, what that if this it was, was a, like, like orchestrated thing? thing? I mean, then they got us. I don't know. Like, perfect crime. Wow. Will we ever know? Like, will we ever know if it wasn't real? No. Like that. That Julio told his buddy Shannon, like, "Hey, I want to get this off my chest, but I want it. Se- I want it to seem like off the cuff, not in like a press conference." He's like, "Well, why don't I call you during our show?" <laughs> Perfect crime, man. Perfect I, I, crime. Honestly, it is the perfect crime. Uh, before we get out of here, why are we still wearing hats in baseball? Why? What's wrong with hats? What do we? What are the? What's the point? What? And what other sport do you wear a hat in? They block the sun. They're strategic. They don't play in the sun anymore. They play at night. Well, night game hats, maybe you could do away with. But watch baseball with no hats. That would be weird, man. Imagine we no start, one wearing hats. But am I wrong that this it, they started wearing hats because they played during the day and they needed to block the sun from their eyes, and that's no longer really an issue. So why are we still wearing hats? And how weird would it look with baseball without hats? <laughs> Imagine if they wore bucket hats. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whatever to keep the if it's just keeping the sun out of your eyes, you can wear whatever kind of freaking hat you want, man. Ooh, wear polar I like for all I care. Oh, <laughs> anytime you see a, a picture of like an 1870s baseball team, boy, check out those. I mean, that's it, nine races. That's nine races right there in weird hats. That's what that is. I think that I think we found the uh, title to our podcast at the very end here. That's nine racists and weird hats. <laughs> Wait, I want to know, are we, why can't we pull the plug on teapots? Teapots? You have a teapot on your stovetop right now? I can see it, actually. You yeah. use it? I have, once or twice. In your whole life? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know what my teapot does? It does a good job of jumping from each burner to each burner. That's all it does. It collects splatter from beef that I have to saute. And then you got to clean it, like, but you've never used it. I have to clean the outside of my tea kettle because it's so gross. And I've never used it. And realistically, if you wanted to make tea, you don't need a tea kettle. You can just like heat up water any other way. Any other way. Yeah, it's antiquated technology that has such a prominent spot in my kitchen right now. And I'm but fed even up with it. And the British, who are very much pro-tea, don't even use the ancient tea kettle like I have sitting on my stove right now. They Wait, have the electric they ones. Use? They have like electric ones that they sit on like a little thing, almost like a coffee maker, but it looks like it's it stands up with a handle on it. You turn Obviously. it on and it boils the water in like, I don't know, 30 seconds or something. They pour their tea and off they go. So it is just a paperweight.